I know many of you are athletes, and, and even if you're not, uh, you can relate to this. Uh, I know some of you Cardinal fans claim to be athletes. Um, apart from today, I think the Cubs are proving otherwise. Anyway, um, thank you. Okay. Um, one of the things I wanted more than anything um, when I was growing up was to be a professional athlete. Uh, worked really, really hard at it, um, practiced a lot, trained a lot, um, played Little League a lot. Um, I mean, I wanted it. Uh, it's, it's crazy the things that you'll do uh, when you want something really, really bad. You guys know what I'm saying? I mean, run, okay? Um, work out, I mean, um, exercise when it doesn't make sense, uh, change your diet, I mean, whatever. Like, I, I wanted to be a professional athlete. And I, I thought I knew what wanting something meant, and, and then my heart started pitter-pattering uh, when I first met uh, my now wife, Heidi. Um, those of you who have ever been in a relationship or if you're married, uh, you know that moment. And, and the things that, um, maybe I'll just speak for myself, the things that as a guy I did in the early stages of our relationship to communicate that want um, was pretty crazy. Uh, up until that point, I had never written a poem in my life. Um, but I'm telling you right now, it didn't take long before I became a poet. Um, I mean, I was writing Heidi poetry like every other week. I mean, I, all of a sudden I became Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, I was just like, I, I was just pouring out my heart in, in poetry. Um, I look back at, at some of those poems and they're unbelievably cheesy. Um, and, and obviously they worked. Um, so... I would, I would do things with my time um, that, again, I would have never done just to, like, try to catch her attention, to um, make sure she knew that I, I cared about her. I know many of you know that very, very, very early in our relationship, I told her that we were going to get married. And, um, again, I don't recommend that for uh, many of you. Um, however, um, it did work for me. I mean, there were just, listen, some of you guys who are dudes in here, you did some pretty crazy things, right? I'm ashamed to say it's been a while since I've written a poem. I'm, I'm ashamed to say that there were certain things that I did in our uh, early dating relationship to communicate my wants that I have gotten uh, very, very lax on. Uh, I'm ashamed to say that there are days where I take my dear, uh, precious wife for granted. I'm ashamed to say that. Um, now if I write a poem, she's going to say it's just because you told everyone that you need to. So I'm not going to get back into poetry per se. But isn't it frustrating when like, you see things in your life that you once wanted so bad and now you see yourself not wanting it anymore? Why does it happen? Like, why do we get there? You know, even like for some of you, whatever the, the case was, a job, a relationship, um, a pursuit that you had, an idea that you had, like if you were to turn back the clock six months ago, I mean, you were ravenous over that thing. And now it's just kind of become another thing. Uh, tonight, what I don't want to do is take for granted the want uh, that I have uh, specifically over this passage. Um, I want... 
so strongly for this text to impact us tonight. I want it so bad. want it so bad. But in all the things that I've learned about wants, um, I know for sure that my wants um, don't carry the Holy Spirit. And so I am pleading with God and have been all day that the Holy Spirit would come in here tonight and would stir in us a deep longing uh, to want the things that I believe tonight's scripture makes clear that God wants of us. And again, it's not a burdensome thing that he wants, it's our joy. It's not something that's going to put the noose back on your neck, my dear brothers and sisters. It's going to be something that looses that. So I want you guys to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. Tonight, our third week in a four-week study from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the body of Christ, the church, the bride. He's coming back for us, okay? And here's a few verses that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. First, we saw this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, the scripture says, Paul says to Corinth, so it is with Christ. Uh, the church, the body of Christ, has many different members that, if we were to just to take the world, that are represented by people of all cultures. Pastor Jared and a team just got back from the Philippines. He got to see a facet of the church having uh, many members and yet being connected, okay? Then we saw this uh, next slide in verse 15. If the foot should say, we studied this last week, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Last week, we focused on the insecurities, the comparisons that we make in the body. If I look at someone else's gifts and I don't feel like I'm as gifted as they are, that it it puts me in the corner, okay, in a spirit, a a desire maybe of inaction, okay? And, And what Paul makes clear is just because you feel that way, it doesn't change the truth. You may not feel a part of the body of Christ because of things that have been done to you or because of your lack, but it doesn't change the truth. The truth is we are one across all races, across all socioeconomic understandings, across all intellectual levels. We are in Christ one. And then finally we saw this powerful passage in verse 18. But as it is, God in his sovereignty arranged the members in the body each one of them, as he chose. So the moment you get frustrated about your standing in comparison to someone else, you must remember a good, holy, perfect, righteous, loving, caring, gracious, and merciful God has given you the gifts that he's given you. And that's a good thing. All right, so tonight, we're going to take a whole nother step to this. So here we go in verse 21. Oh, my dear goodness. The eye... Cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I want you to see the word there, cannot, okay? Uh, Pastor Jared's been out of town, so I wasn't able to confer with him, but I was able to look at my resources, and the Greek word for cannot means cannot, okay? (laughs) The eye cannot say to the hand. So last week we were looking at our insecurities, but now Paul takes a different chapter to the church in Corinth. Apparently, it wasn't just that people were being insecure in their gifts. Apparently in the church of Corinth, individuals were elevating their gifts above others. 
So they were looking inside of themselves and seeing the way that God had designed it and then beginning to believe that somehow that was God ranking them. And so what Paul makes clear is, look, the head, the eye, like none of these body parts can look at the other body parts and say, I have no need of you. Again, I would like to say that I've never done that or struggled with it, but I think early in my ministry in particular, pride pride drove a lot of this kind of thinking. Um, We call it delegation. I think wrongly so in the church. Uh, Delegation maybe is a business term. I, I like to think of our roles as pastors as not master delegators, but as empowerers. And early on in my ministry, uh, and still, still to this day, every once in a while it rears its ugly head, I find myself resting on my own gifts. Again, the business world would say not delegating. I would say, in particular, early in my ministry, not empowering. Now, I would say it's because I didn't want to be a burden on anyone else. Uh, I would say it was because, you know, I didn't want to ask anyone else to sacrifice But it doesn't matter. Any excuse that I was making, I was stealing joy from the body of Christ to give them an opportunity to play their part. Essentially, what I was saying is that, you know what, in this case, in this circumstance, I have no need of you. And again, I know many of you are like, Mark, man, man, I I sure hope you, you haven't done that. No, I have. Again, we mask it with a lot of, like, flowery language. But in the end, in the heart... It's I can do this on my own. And you know what? Actually, if I do it on my own, then there's a slight chance that I'll receive more notoriety for it. And so you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to, I'm just going to run rampant. What I've learned, okay, from 22 now to 30 middle, okay, <laughs> right? Listen, what I've learned is there is no joy. There is no joy in trying to do it on your own. There is literally no joy in it. You you convince yourself that somehow there's going to be joy that comes. But there is no joy in not empowering the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. So I want to walk this out further. Next slide. I want to walk this out further by saying this. Ways we reveal. Again, not that we say, but ways we reveal to the rest of the body that we don't have a need for them. There's a difference between want and need. Don't you love that? Paul says we need one another. We need each other. Here's ways that we reveal that. Number one, okay? By not pursuing deep-rooted relationships within the body of Christ that are in very strategically here, different categories. Well, Mark, what do you mean by different categories? You know what I mean because you have them. I'm not saying they're good. I'm not saying they're holy or righteous or not sinful, but I'm saying we have in our minds very often categories of people or maybe for you there is a race piece to that maybe for you there is a what advantage does it provide me relationally a piece to that I'm not sure what your categories are but listen when we find ourselves not pursuing pursuing you see what I'm saying on the offensive okay when we find ourselves not pursuing deep-rooted Christ-centered relationships in the body in different perspectives and different categories that come from different understandings. We are revealing, I have no need of you. You and that whole group of people there, you know what? The whole body would be better off without you. Why don't you just go over there by yourself? You see how unbelievably painful this can be then? 
Number two, we reveal I have no need of you um, by believing that God values you and your gifts above others. Again, I, I would love, I would love to stand up here and say that every single time I've preached a sermon or done ministry or led or opened up my heart, I would love to say that every single one of those times, I never walked off in battle thinking that somehow God approved of me because of my performance. I'd love to say that I've never done that, but I have. I want and desire to never do that. I don't want to struggle with that. But when, when I believe, even with the smidgen in my heart, that somehow God values my gifts above the gifts of the body or anyone else, I am revealing that I have no need of you. Listen, listen, I know, I know, like this takes unearthing the core of your heart because we can all say the right things at the right times and the right tone of voice with the right facial features and the right blinks of the eye and the nice smirk out of the side of our mouth. We can all do that. We're, we're great at the masquerade. But I'm asking you, like, what's in the depths of your heart? How are you revealing? I don't, I don't, I don't need the body at all, okay? And finally, how about this one? Ways we reveal I have no need of you by running from relational strife. Hello, somebody. Um, if today's your first day ever uh, in, in the church, okay, with other believers, let me guarantee you something, okay? Take it to the bank, okay? There will be relational strife among followers of Christ. There will be. There's going to be at times tension, there's going to be times uh, you say something that you wish you could take back. Have you ever done that? Like, you know, trying to fish, reel it back. I'm not a fisherman, but I've definitely done that a few times. Uh, th- there's going to be times where uh, you're, as I uh, taught a couple weeks ago, you're kind of giving the cold shoulder. When we run from relational strife, when we run from it, do you know what happens? We reveal that we have no need of you. Because it's better to run away than it is to reconcile. But I'm guaranteeing you the joy that comes from relational reconciliation in the body of Christ is unparalleled. It's incredible. I mean, I I have seen certain uh, instances in several different facets of my life recently where there was tension, strife, chaos. I mean, it seemed like there's no way that these these people or that me and that person are ever going to find reconciliation. But you know what? When we don't run from it, When we in humility speak the truth in love and extend grace, do you know the joy of relational reconciliation? Oh my goodness. Seriously, you've convinced yourself it's better off just to run from it and to give the cold shoulder for the rest of my life. But it's killing you, isn't it? It has killed you, hasn't it? The beauty right now is that, listen, we can embrace when we run from relational strife, we tell everybody, and particularly those people, I don't need you. In fact, I'm better off without you. So let's just go on our merry way. And in doing so, what we say is the body of Christ is not one. And so we can act and live and exist as if it's not. Dangerous. Dangerous stuff. Well, thankfully, Paul doesn't end in verse 21. In fact, he packs a large punch in verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are in dispensable, okay? I'll cue, cue the body here, okay? Let's look at this. Uh, this is a person, a member here, the, 
Matthias and took an x-ray a picture of them. Appreciate their willingness to do so. Um, it's also a Google image, so not a per Anyway, um, listen, what do you believe are the weaker parts of the body? What does Paul mean here? On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Isn't there one key word there? What's the key word? Come on. Seem, right? The parts of the body that, that seem, okay, and the Greek word there uh, means it's, it's like a thought or an idea, okay? The, the, the thoughts that we seem to be weaker, those are. Um, there are, are body parts that are very prominent in public, our face, very, very prominent in public. None of us would, you know, would argue that our face is a weaker piece. Our, our hands, our feet, like some of the more prominent visible body parts. But what about the small intestines, right? It doesn't get a lot of publicity. You know what I'm saying? Well, it does, but it's more personal. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, okay. There's certain body parts that, that seem like they are weaker because they're tucked away. But you already know where the truth is going, right? You take uh, those body parts out or they begin to not function properly. And all of a sudden, they affect everything else. And so what Paul makes clear is, listen, it's not just that these parts that seem to be weaker, you know, are beneficial. He says they are indispensable. Now, every once in a while I work out. Um, Every once in a while. There have been times, and especially when I go to Ecuador, okay, and I'm doing work that I rarely, if ever, do, okay, which, um, like yard work, for instance, okay, um, so I'm out there, right, and, and you're like swinging things you've never swung before, and you're digging trenches, and I, you know, all the things that I don't normally do. All of you have been there before. There's one statement we always make. There's one statement we make, right? Uh, not that night, but the next morning when we're getting out of bed, and you have to pry us off of the off of the mattress, okay? There's one statement we always make, like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know I had muscles there. <laughs> Haven't you said that before? Like, I, I like, how is that piece of me sore? You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know my nose had a muscle there. Like, how in the world is that, is that sore, right? It's the same kind of premise. Uh, like, sometimes, in, until we, we meet clear collision courses or crossroads, do all of a sudden the indispensability of those particular body parts become very prevalent because we see that they're actually functioning and working and, and rather a part of us, okay? So again, Paul doesn't say that these parts are just parts. He says they are indispensable. So I, I want to then take, take a gander at what parts in the body of Christ seem to be the weaker parts, Maybe that's been some of you. Maybe these have been the kinds of people that you have judged or isolated or cast out, okay? Which parts seem weaker in the body of Christ? This one's obvious, classic. Those that have gifts that are behind the scenes, not public. Listen, do you know how many people in this body alone that work week in and week out, day in and day out, and no one would ever even know? No one. Okay, we, we just, we just um, purchased that, that grill uh, out, out front from Craigslist, okay? We figured, look, we rented that big old grill last year. Why don't we take that re- those resources and just buy our own, okay? So if you ever need a grill, let us know. Anyway, um, so there's a guy 
that literally came up here all weekend. And he, he sanded the grill, and he painted the grill, and, and he worked on the grill. And you know what? You're not going to walk in the foyer, and there's not going to be a plaque that says, here's our grill guy, you know? And make sure when you see him tonight, you give him a big hug, and you tell him, thanks for making the grill usable tonight when we eat these Nathan's hot dogs, and, and they'll be so wonderful. Like, no, it's just behind the scenes. But listen, you know what we do in our mind? Those, those um, gifts, those servants seem weaker. Don't you all of a sudden hate that in you, that piece of you that has ever said that anyone that serves in that way is somehow like, but, but the word says, no, that, like, that's indispensable, okay? How about number two here? Which part seem weaker in the body of Christ? How about those whose, hello, production numbers are smaller? Listen, when I, when I go to pastors, conferences, things, talked a little bit about it last week. I'm always, like, bothered, and this was, I think, a big issue five years ago. It's, it's morphing a little bit. But when, when people ask questions like, so, hey, how big are you guys? And I've just always felt weird about the question. Uh, uh, some of you guys have been asked that, you know, like, hey, so, so how, how many is in your law family? How many people are you discipling? How many, how many, how many? And when we somehow associate uh, production numbers with a quality of God's value of them or how their gifts are being used, do you see that we're mistaken? Okay? We have no idea how God is using this person and then somehow we're saying because of the, the, the house church in the Philippines only has X amount of people who have been uh, converted from Muslim backgrounds and all of a sudden are be, being converted and there's five of them that somehow that's less significant than the hundreds that would gather in a room like this. No, somebody better, somebody's going to have to prove me wrong on that. Because those converts, every single one of them, precious, precious kids, in the, in the understanding and the fatherdom of, of God. Okay. So I love, love, love what Jared's already learning in that area. Powerful stuff. Which parts seem weaker in the body of Christ? How about this one? Those who deflect glory. Listen, the people that take no glory for themselves seem like they're weaker. The humble. I mean, those who literally are, you know, they could step out on the limelight and say, ta-da, like, look what I've done. Look at all the awesome things. Look at the ways I, I, I man, I, I kicked butt and took names in this area in the church. But instead they deflect the glory. Those parts in the body seem, seem weaker. Paul says indispensable. And finally, how about this? Which parts seem weaker? All right, all right, here we go. You've been in a lot of family. You've been in a small group setting. You've been here before. And someone has publicly, publicly confessed their sin and instantly in your mind reeling. And all of a sudden they became less valued. Your self-righteousness grew and flourished. Right? And all of a sudden they became more significant. You elevated yourself. But Paul says, listen, be encouraged, my brothers and sisters, if you've ever felt like your giftings through the Spirit of God are somehow weaker than that person or more insignificant or it's created some sort of value system, 
be reminded of this truth. And this is one of the things I want so badly tonight. Be reminded you are in the body of Christ indispensable. Why? Because we all in Christ need one another. And that isn't a thing we should shy away from. That is our joy. And so he gets graphic. Here we go, verse 23 and 24. You say the word graphic, everyone gets a little interested, okay? And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts, or unpresentable rather parts, are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Now, I love this, and I love these moments when we study together, because this is one of the moments where you, you would read this, and you'd be like, mm, no, I don't, I don't think so, right? Like, I don't know what this means, blah, 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 Paul, like, who cares, okay? I'll bring me to the good stuff. I know 1 Corinthians 13 is coming. I've seen that in a gabillion weddings, so let's just get there, right? Like, love is patient, love is kind. Right, now listen, okay? Cue, cue the body again, okay? Cue the body again. Next slide, do we have the body there, the body image? Is it there? No? Okay, well, okay, there it is. Thank you, okay? Now, I know in today's culture that we're certainly testing the limits of what Paul is saying. But there are certain body parts that we cover up quite frequently. Agree? Okay. And and so what Paul is saying is those parts that require a modesty, uh, we have essentially given them honor in that way. Because we're, we're not flaunting them. We're not putting them in front of everyone. Now, if we continue to take the metaphor a little bit farther, okay, that shows the essence and the depth of sin, right? Or when those parts that are requiring modesty, or we have an opportunity to be modest in, then all of a sudden become not modest. There's a certain piece of it that feels maybe unnatural or or weird. I know we could go back to the garden and teach through some things from that, but I want us to focus on the task at hand. Okay, What what Paul is saying is, listen, just because those parts are covered up, um, it doesn't make them less significant. It doesn't make them less a part of the body. It doesn't mean that that they're weaker. It's another way of saying that every part has its its place. Okay, And so he says at the end of verse 24... But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, which furthers the teachings of Jesus that says that he had, he had come to serve and not be served. So these indispensable, seemingly weaker parts that lacked it, all of a sudden get greater honor as the Lord figures it out. In other words, he gives some very public gifts, but you know what? He gives others very behind-the-scenes gifts, okay? Very, uh, very much giftings that, that aren't going to be put in front of everyone and both parts, both parts in Christ, significant love cared for. Verse 25, this is huge. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Does anyone else want this? 
Does anyone else want this? I can't remember getting to a verse and wanting something more. It's as if he gets to this place and says, look, your insecurities that are causing you to distance yourselves from the body, the ways that you're elevating your gifts above others in the body, listen, listen, listen. We can rest in the power of God so that there may be no division and the members care for one another. Listen, I have to think that in all of us, there is a longing for this perspective, a longing for this reality. If we knew that in everything and in all ways that there was no division, no walls, like there was complete unity, if there was an uncanny care that we had never experienced before, listen, isn't there something about that that just all of a sudden wells up in your heart that says, yes, please God now. So what I've learned is that when you want something, Jesus says, ask and it'll be given to you, seek and you'll find. What does he say? Come on. Knock and the door will be open, right? So here's what we're going to do, like mid, right now, right in this very second. There's this ancient um, book called The Valley of Vision. The Valley of Vision is a collection of Puritan prayers. And yes, there are some these and thines and words that you can't pronounce. But right now, we're going to stop and pray for unity. We're going to stop and confess public sin. Right now, there, there's going to be a leader section on the screens. I'm going to pray that out. There's going to be an all section. And we're going to take some time right now to cry this out. As we're longing for God to do a work in our hearts. Next slide. We humble ourselves for faculties misused, opportunities neglected, words ill-advised. Come on. We repent of our folly and inconsiderate ways, our broken resolutions, untrue service, our backsliding steps, our vain thoughts. O bury our sins in the ocean of Jesus' blood and let no evil result from our fretful temper, unseemly behavior, or provoking pettiness. If by unkindness we have wounded or hurt another, do thou pour in the balm of heavenly consolation. Beautiful language. If we have turned coldly from need, Misery or grief. Do not in just anger forsake me. If we have withheld relief from poverty and pain, do not withhold thy gracious bounty from me. If we have shunned those who have offended us, come on, keep open the door of thy heart to my need. Fill me with an overflowing ocean of compassion, the reign of love my motive, the law of love my rule. Listen, what if God answered that prayer? What if in this body we experienced no divisiveness? You're like, Mark, Mark, that's a, that's a pipe dream. That's a vision statement that never came true. I know it may seem that way, 
But the power of the gospel is that in Christ there is reconciliation. There is freedom. There is hope. There is a call to live harmoniously. There is peace. And so as this text ends, listen, this is so crazy beautiful in verse 26. Listen to this. If one members suffers, this is the fruition of all this, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You guys know the precise image in this because you've had a toothache. Okay? And maybe, maybe some of you have, per- Carly, maybe you know, some of you have perfect teeth, okay? Some of us don't. But when you get a toothache, I mean, oh my goodness, your mind hurts all of us. You don't even know why. You're like feet are hurting. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever had one of those toothaches? I mean, it's just like going through your whole body. You're like, I didn't even know I had arthritis in my knee from my tooth. Like, what's happening? This makes no sense. Because when one member suffers, like everything seems to suffer. Everything seems to hurt. Like all of a sudden you're in confusion. You don't know what, what's next. Like your mind is, is, is out of this world. Some of you have had the flu, anybody? Better not be here tonight. Okay, but some of you have had the flu, right? You know the feeling. You've had the flu. You've been down. And then all of a sudden you start to feel better. I mean, you were a mess, right? You are, a, you are a mess. And then you start to feel better. And it's not just your stomach that feels better. Come on. It's like everything, right? Like the moment from the flu you start feeling better, like all of a sudden you go out and run a marathon, right? Because you thought like 24 hours earlier you were going to die, and now all of a sudden you're like ready to face the world. That is the precise image. When one member suffers, all suffer. And when one member in this language is honored, then all rejoice. Why? Because we are so unbelievably interconnected. Romans says it this way. My favorite chapter in the scripture. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep, weep with those who weep. Easier said than done. But if I desire and would want one thing from the body of Christ tonight, from us, from me, from you, it would be that we would learn that. But we struggle with it because we ask two questions instead. I think this is a big struggle. Why would I suffer with them if I'm suffering more? Come on. I'm not going to suffer with them. Are you kidding me? Have you seen my stuff? You know what I'm going through? Look behind my closed doors. Look at my closet. Like, you have no idea. I'm not, I can't, like, I'm not going to give up my time to suffer with them when I got all this going on. Some of you on the opposite side, uh, you felt experienced this. Uh, why would I rejoice with them if there is greater reason to rejoice with me? Why would I give up my time? Why would I somehow all of a sudden give credence to rejoicing with them when everybody's forgetting about me? No one's rejoiced with me in the things that have happened in my life. Do you understand, my friends, my brothers and sisters, those that I care for deeply, those that I desire to get this, to want this together, do you know that when we lay our stuff down, listen, when we die, when the flesh is killed, we lay down our stuff. And in it, all of a sudden, open our eyes to others who are suffering, to others who are rejoicing. 
where before all we would have seen is our suffering and our need for rejoicing. But oh my goodness, when the eyes open, do you know what you see? Everybody else. And you know what happens when you see everyone else? Can I tell you? Unity. Humility. But when everyone's looking in, that's why we battle. That's why there's divisiveness. That's why there's contention. When we lay our stuff down, then all of a sudden the beauty of my gifts aren't greater than anybody's. In fact, your gifts are indispensable. In fact, let's celebrate what God is doing in you. In fact, let's rejoice together what God is doing in you. I'm not just saying applaud. I'm saying truly rejoice. So here's what we can learn from all this as a body. Next slide. Here's what we can learn. How can we grow in our suffering and rejoicing with others as a church right now? Number one, we can invite others into our journey, period, period. This happens in so many ways and so many facets. Inviting people in. Here I am. All my stuff, all my mess. Invite them in. Some of you, walls to the heavens, it feels like. When you start inviting people in, when we start inviting people in, do you know what can happen? I know you've been burned before. I know someone has uh, um, broken trust before. I know, I know, me too. But it doesn't mean that I can't give another chance. Here's another way we can grow as a body. Look at this. Extend grace when others do not suffer or rejoice with us. Come on. Listen, do you know how beautiful uh, the body would be if at every turn... We weren't just looking for the wrongdoings in our brothers and sisters. We were extending grace because let me remind you, you're in need of it. I am in desperate need of your grace, of the Lord's grace. And when we find ourselves as a body who is extending grace, we find ourselves not just way less contentious, but way more unified. That's what happens. That's the result. God, help us extend grace. God, help us extend grace here. God, help us hear other people's hearts and journeys and struggles. How can we grow? Number three, we can do this. Please see this. Commit to relationships and not to a rally. Let me explain. When we suffer with people or rejoice with people, it is easy to rally for temporal things that seem really, really, for lack of a better term, sexy. This cause, if I just get fired up about it for a few minutes or a few days or a few weeks, it'll be awesome. So I I long to suffer with that person because it's probably going to get me some notoriety. Because their suffering is very public. Or you know what? If I rejoice with that person, man, man, now we're talking. And you know what it is? It's a rallying. It's a cause. It's not a relationship. We can't confuse that. The way that this body can grow is we can commit to building and deepening real relationships centered on the person of Christ. And listen, I know many of us are so fearful of that, but but Mark, what happens when they know me? Mark, what happens when this? Listen, I understand all of that. I just know the gospel's bigger. I know my God is bigger. I know there's an empty tomb. And so if there's an empty tomb, then God, I, I want and long for there to be unity like I've never experienced or seen. I just think it's possible. Okay. Lastly on this, how can we grow in our suffering? We give our most precious gift, most precious peace, the most precious thing to us. We give time. Here. Here it is. Here it is. All right. We can teach it. We can talk about it. 
And I believe here in this body, we have, we've learned how to suffer together many different instances. I think we can grow there, but I, I think we've, I think we're moving in the right direction. Honestly, a way that I feel like we're, we're failing miserably is rejoicing with each other. I just feel like we are. Not enough stories shared. More um, rhetoric and rejoicing than true heart. I'm with you and I'm rejoicing with you over the long haul. More like, oh yeah, I'm praying for you and less like, oh my goodness, let's stop right now. And for like three hours, but, but don't you have a place to be? Yeah, I got a place to be. But there is nothing more important than right now just with you giving thanks to the God that has allowed this in your life. So we have never, ever done this, ever, ever. Ten and a half years of Matthias. We're going to do it tonight. I feel like there are some in here that are covenant members that God has done an amazing work in recently in terms of repentance and joy freeing you from something. Maybe it's something uh, specifically that came out of the, the dying to self journey. Let me phrase the question this way. Here's how I would phrase it. Okay, look at this. The next slide if you can. I'll go all the way to the end there, the final question. What is something that we can rejoice in with you right now? Something that God's kindness has brought you to repent of and that you have now been walking in freedom and joy. Listen, again, we've never done this ten and a half years. If there's a covenant member in here in brevity, okay? You've got like a minute that just in a second wants to come up here and share so that we can be reminded that God is moving. I'm going to invite you to do that. But before we do that and while you're thinking, I thought, you know what? It, it seems appropriate that we would rejoice right now with the baptism. What do you guys think? Because you know what? Like when you see life change in that way, oh my goodness. All right, so bring out my dear buddy, uh, Brandon and Teddy. Can you guys bring them, bring them up right now? They're going to come up. 